blessings. We appreciate the opportunity to come here before you, Lord, your children, to meet and to, to grow in your word. Thank you for using me today, Lord, for your precious anointing that breaks every yoke. Thank you for helping me to proclaim your word boldly in power and, and love. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn to John chapter 20. Starting at the 24th verse, John 20, 24, I thought this was appropriate for today, because it's uh, right about a week after Jesus uh, was resurrected. I'll just begin reading here. John 20, verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So he hadn't been there when Jesus had appeared to the disciples previously. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger in the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will not believe. I will never believe, he said. So, verse 26, eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my wound, my hands. And put, put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. I believe Thomas was saved right there. Believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. You shall be saved. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? And then here's a message to all of us. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Amen. <clears throat> because of what happened on Resurrection Sunday, we have a new identity in Christ. We have a new relationship with Christ. Or, I should say this, an opportunity at a new relationship. Jesus died for the sins of the entire world, but not everybody saved. So what's been presented to us is an opportunity at salvation. Amen? But it's a choice. Those of us who know the Lord and love the Lord, we have received Him as our King and Savior, and we have a new identity. We have a new spiritual address. The spirit of Satan, which came through the corrupted seed of Adam, has been evicted. And now, the Spirit of God has been ushered in. Our born-again spirit is sealed, perfected forever with the Holy Spirit. But still, we try to, to get it right. We're always struggling to get things just right, seeking the approval of God. But what we don't believe often enough or strongly enough, is that God loves us. 
He loves us because we, we chose Jesus and put our faith, our eternal destiny in His hands. And so now, if you really believe the Word, when Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father in heaven and was seated at the right hand of God, you are seated there with Him right now. This is hard to get our natural mind around, but you are in Christ, having accepted Him and received the salvation, the gift of salvation through the atonement, resurrection of our Lord Jesus. So when God sees you, He sees Jesus. He loves you. Nothing can change that. We don't go in and out of favor with God Because of our actions. This truth has caused a lot of people to go shipwrecked. Thinking that. Well because of that. They can do anything they want. Well it was addressed many times in the word. No. Heavens no. But our relationship with God. Our new identity with God. Is not based Upon the flesh, but upon the spirit. John 4, 24, when John was talking, when Jesus was talking to the woman at the well, he said, those who worship God must worship him in spirit and in truth. God is a spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The truth of the word of God. By the spirit of God. So he's a spirit and he's relating to us as who we are now in our spirit. That's who you need to identify with. Not your flesh and not even the misguidedness of your soul. Your mind, your will and emotions, your personality. Which is still a little off sometimes. But by who you are in your spirit. Because that's your true identity. You are a spirit. With a soul. In a body. Amen. The importance of understanding spirit, soul and body is limitless. It's essential to the Christian life. That's why I don't understand Churches that don't embrace the Holy Spirit because they will never understand their true identity and really they're just struggling with legalism all along the way. Trying to be good enough. Trying to understand God. But the you will never understand the things of God without the Spirit of God. But the point that I'm stressing here this morning is that we are right with God, not based on our actions, but upon our reborn spirit. And knowing this will help people to stop running from God and run to God whenever they make poor choices. Amen. Go over to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4, 
starting at verse 13. It says this, For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. So our righteousness comes by faith, not by law, not by achieving a certain level of holiness. Amen. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That's why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring. Hello. Amen. You see that? So the promise of Abraham, which we're all part of now, didn't come by our good works. But we obtained this righteousness by faith, by putting our trust in Jesus. Not by good works. The world teaches us do good, get good, do bad, get beat. But when we come to Jesus, God now sees you as he sees Jesus. He doesn't know he no longer sees the fallen nature of Adam in you. He sees Jesus. Pure gold. You're seated with Jesus at the right hand of the majesty in heaven right now. But God is a spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Until we learn our new identity in Christ by the spirit, and relate to ourselves as the spirit man who we are, we'll never understand how God can still love us when we go on this emotional and... uh, roller coaster and in our lives and we're up and down in our attitudes and relationships and we think we're just one sin away from him turning his back on us forever this week and next week and well we've done pretty good so he likes me again wrong it has nothing to do with your behavior anymore not if you've truly been born again That's another message for another month or two. (laughs) But the point is, we have to see ourselves as God sees us now in Christ to understand how he can relate to us when we're not so perfect in our flesh and in our soul, our attitudes, our mind, our will and emotions. Because we are perfect in our spirit. You can't discern your spirit with your natural senses. So you have to embrace the leading and guiding of the Holy Spirit and the truth of God's word. The law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there's no transgression. The law has been set aside. 
the thing that, that Satan used to accuse you, Jesus took out of the way, nailing it to the cross. Now he says, who's going to accuse you? No one. Look a couple of pages over. We were in Romans 4. Look in Romans 6. I want to make sure that we make that point first though. That we are righteous now in our nature. We are right with God. Justified. Just as if I'd never sinned. He said, well, that was all my old sins, but now I got to get it right. That's what some teach. And that's wrong. If Jesus didn't die for your future sins, then you're still in trouble anyway, because he only died once for your sins 2000 years ago. No, when God drew you to him and caused you to have enough faith to call out to the Lord and be saved. He already understood everything that you'll ever do and ever have done. And now you're his child and your name is written in the book of life. No one can snatch you from his hand. And it's time for Christians to understand their true identity in God and that it's not based on their good deeds, but on Jesus. Now, having said that, Romans chapter 6, verse 1, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? It's always the question. If, you're not, if people aren't asking that question, then you're not teaching grace properly. It needs to sound too good to be true. Because that's what the gospel is. <laughs> Here's the answer. Go to verse 16. Well, Paul said by no means anyway. He almost cursed there. Anything anything extra he would have. He put an exclamation point. No. How can we who died to sin still live in it? And look down at verse 16. Do you not know? And here's why. Do you not know that If you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who once were slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. Amen. Listen, living holy has great benefits. And I there, there there are three major reasons that we should live holy. Because if we're born again, I just explained to you that it's now your nature to be holy. So now you if you're truly born again, and you have the nature of God in you and the nature of Satan has been evicted, then you're a hypocrite when you try to continue to be like the world. Not when you go to church and then they say you're a hypocrite for trying to be holy. No, that's who you are. 
You're a hypocrite when you go back and try to blend in with them again. Amen. So it's your true nature. The, uh, the next reason is that it opens the door for Satan in, to come into your life. It says here that if you agree with Satan, that you're a slave to him. If you agree with God, then you're a slave to righteousness. One brings life, one brings death. Choose life. Amen. And the third one, and the big one to me, I mean, those are huge, but I understand those. But the one that God compelled me to even be a minister of his word with was the third reason, and that's our witness. You know that old message that from the, is it the Marine Corps? We're looking for a few good men, <laughs> a few good men and women. God is really looking for people that will live it, not just say it. He's got a lot of folks out there working for him that are really good at filling places up. Unfortunately, I, that's... I'm not going to say I'm not an evangelist because Jesus is and he's in me. I can do all the offices that, that he holds, but it's never been my strong suit. There are some that can fill up a gigantic church building in no time at all and then offend every one of them by their life. And God says, I've had too much of that. I just need some people that love me for me and really live it. They don't leave me at the church. When they leave on Sunday. They don't come just to visit me. And they go back to their life. And their ways. It just is who they are. And they know it. They don't have the identity crisis. That many struggle with. So there are great benefits. To living a holy life. But relationship with God. Isn't one of them. Have you ever thought that because of your sins that God couldn't use you? <laughs> but then has He ever has He ever used you when you were at your worst? <laughs> yeah. He does things like that. And if you'll document that in your heart and mind, you'll have a track record in your life and you'll begin to see how He is. He loves you not because you're lovely, but because Jesus is. Sometimes you might still have a sin in your life that dominates you, your thoughts and your mind and your life, your things you struggle with. But grace is more powerful than sin, isn't it? Because of the grace of God, we've been set free from sin. So how can grace be a license to sin when the Bible teaches us that grace is the power and provision of God to be and to do all that He's called us to be and to do? <laughs> Amen. God doesn't do anything in our lives because of our goodness. 
Holiness doesn't bring acceptance from God. That came at the moment of salvation because of Jesus. But there are reasons to live a holy life and I think they're very compelling. Those three that I just touched on briefly. But here's here's a I want to just delve into just a, a, a bigger problem with our relationship with God. Look at Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. Go to the 45th verse. And I'm going to read this familiar passage of scripture to you. And we're going to talk a little bit about it. Because I want to hone in on this one thing. I had to lay the groundwork about what's happened. I thought it was appropriate to talk about Thomas because this is the, it was a week after, eight days, eighth day after the resurrection that Jesus appeared again in the room with the disciples and, just, and Thomas had been unbelieving and he, he showed him. And he said, you believe because you see. It's better if you don't, if you believe and haven't seen. And that's what I said is the message to all of us. It's still the message to all of us. That's why Jesus had that long Bible study on the road to Emmaus that day of his resurrection with those two disciples instead of just revealing himself to them. He showed himself through the scriptures. For hours he spent, beginning in the Old Testament and coming to current times. And, and then they understood. Mark six forty five. immediately... He made his disciples get into the boat. Jesus had just taken uh, five loaves and two fish and and fed uh, 5,000 people, right? And he get, immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. He compelled them to go. He, he made them. In other words, they didn't want to. <clears throat> I think there was a storm coming. There were fishermen and they knew it. Sometimes our natural minds and the things that we know based on experience can hinder the things that we receive and hear from God. Just keep that in mind. Told him to go to the other side, before him to the other side to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came... The boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. This was not a, a long way across this, uh, this uh, body of water. They should have been there a long time ago, but they weren't making any headway because they were going against the waves and the wind. He meant to pass by them. He, he's walking on the water. And he meant to pass by them. Or he would have passed by them. Is what the King James said. But when they saw him walking on the sea. They thought it was a ghost. And cried out. For they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them. And said take heart. It's I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them. And the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded. I want you to put yourself there. I want you to understand what's happening here. They were utterly astounded. For they did not understand about the loaves. 
What's this got to do with the bread that he... They didn't understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Okay, now, you've got to get this. You've got to get this. Just see Jesus come walking. You're in a big storm out in this, on the sea. And Jesus just comes walking up. He's, he's walking on top. He's walking above the problem that they thought was going to kill him. Hello. They thought they were going to be drowned and he's walking on top of the issue, right? Listen, I want to tell you something. God, Jesus said, the things I have done, you will do also even greater things. God will give you power to do some wonderful and mighty things in this life. But what does he require? Faith. He needs a faith response from you. Everything that he has accomplished through the atonement has been accredited to your account. But it takes a faith response to make withdrawals from that account. And you can make as many as you want. And it will never be diminished. Not by one drop. Amen. That's the God we serve. The disciples were amazed. It says because they didn't understand about the loaves. It's an interesting point here. Their hearts were hardened. In other words... They should not have been amazed by the miracles they were witnessing because they had witnessed miracles before. They saw this man take a little lunch and feed 5,000 people with it. And had they been meditating on that and what an awesome God they served, they wouldn't have been surprised at anything he did. But their hearts were hardened. What does that mean? Their hearts were, were cold. Their hearts were insensitive. Unfeeling. Unyielding. To the power of God working in their lives. And so what happens when, we're, when our hearts get hardened? We, we begin to stop perceiving spiritual truths. We, we begin to have a, a lack of understanding. You remember the parable of the four soils. What's the only time that Satan could come and steal the word from you? He's going to try immediately when you leave here today. Who is he able to steal it from? Those who lack understanding. When our hearts are hard, we, we can't really hear the voice of God. And we lack spiritual memory. 
Remember what we were just discussing? How wonderful it is that you come up and you share one of those experiences. Just a, just a small thing in your life when God just showed up out of the blue and just fixed your problem that you thought was so overwhelming at a time when you needed it the most. When we don't resurrect monuments in our hearts and minds to memorialize those events in our lives, the track record of God's faithfulness in our lives, then we have short memory. That's why we need to rehearse all the wonderful things that God does on a daily basis. When you start, try, you start with the big things. When you're immature, you can notice maybe the bigger things, the really big things. But as you mature, you notice the miracles and everything you see. And you mention it to him. How many of you walk outside in the morning on a spring day like this and just go, wow, God. You're awesome. All this from seed. Just like me. And just like your word in my heart. We, it's good to reflect on this issue. Because this. I, I talked about the. The issue of the identity crisis that we have as children of God first. Because I want us to understand that God loves us. And we're not going to change that. We're not going to go. He doesn't go in and out of love with you however that song goes. That's not love. Love is a choice. God chooses love because God is love. You can't change Him based on your behavior. Now... Understanding that is very important, but because otherwise you're just going to try to please him all the time, you get into legalism. You need to rest in the fact that Jesus finished the work and you are accepted in the beloved. This is another problem we're talking about now, however. This might be a set on the opposite end of the spectrum, but I think it's just as troubling and maybe even more common with Christians in this day and age and to the particular group that well I'll say it the 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 biggest the, the biggest uh, harvest field and it, an opportunity for evangelism these days is the middle class America they're the hardest to reach you guys your peers not you because you are all fanatics in a good way. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> you wouldn't be here. You'd be at that big old new church. Uh, 200 yards away or whatever. But there's something. Special about God's word. And really receiving. The truth of God's word. When it's so hard to come by. These days. But people. Not. Not knowing how much or believing how much God loves them is one big problem. But I think not considering God at all is a worse problem. That's a hard heart. They don't even give God the time of day. I wonder how many people, how many among us or how many uh, that you know that feel like their heart is hardened toward God. If they're like, what? 
They don't even consider God. That's why they would give you that answer so quickly. Like, that's a dumb question. What are you even talking about? Well, I'm talking about as you go, do you even consider God? I ask people this all the time because I'm amazed at even the political environment in our country because if Christians voted the Bible, we wouldn't have the problems that we do. But if Christians, if Christians lived the Bible, then there would have never been a need for the first civil war. Because the Constitution inspired by God, there never would have been slavery in this nation. You see? If all men are created equal and everybody deserves an opportunity. You see what I'm saying? If we would just get it right, things would be right. Right believing brings about right doing. You want to do better in your life? Believe right. Believe God. Agree with God the moment you do Everything changes. And sometimes it's just certain areas of our lives. But if we have a hard heart, if we're honest with ourselves, we have to ask ourselves, how did this happen? Was it always like that? There was a time when I was very sensitive to God. Uh, Maybe in certain areas I never opened up the hand and I protected certain things. That's usually where most people are. They're very, they love Jesus. In many ways, some areas of their lives are like, all right, now we're not going to talk about that. Don't go there. Because they, they can't let the light shine in that area because then it'll reveal the darkness and the darkness will flee and then they'll have to deal with it. They'll have to allow the Lord to deal with it. So they act like it's not there. Jesus! 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 <laughs> Where's your other hand? What you got back there? <laughs> you ever seen the pictures where somebody's holding on to something and some little insignificant thing and Jesus has something really better behind his back and he's saying, I need you to give me that. And they're like, no. They can't give him this until they give him that, right? <laughs> Mark, let's go back. A page or so. It's Mark chapter 6. Let's ask a question about that. If we're asking ourselves though. How our hearts got hardened. And if they are hardened toward God. And, and maybe it's just certain areas of our lives. How it happened. When it happened. Was it something that we're even aware of. Just ask yourself. Do you have good focus on your life? Do you even understand your life? Do you understand what you focus on in your life? Because you need to ask yourself, does your focus have consequences? That's a, that's a really good question. We need to examine ourselves to see whether we be in the faith is what the word encourages us to do. Not, not so that we're so introspective that we go around self-condemned all the time. But God doesn't want that. But... It's, it's good to take inventory. Amen? It just is. Mark 6.51 says, And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves 
but their hearts were hardened. Why were their hearts hardened? Why, why did they not consider the miracles that they had seen? They were just carnal. They were natural. A person who relates easier to the natural realm than to the supernatural realm has a hardened heart. Okay? So, and, and being carnal does not always mean sinful. Sometimes we just have to do natural things and pay attention to the natural things around us. And it doesn't mean that we're in sin. It just means that we're not considering God. And it's good to make adjustments in that regard. Because we're, it's like a seesaw. The way that God has made us is that we can only, we can focus on life or death. The natural or the supernatural. We can't do both. Faith or unbelief. And when it gets like this, there's this tug of war. And our, our unbelief is hindering the faith that we're trying to release to obtain the things provided by grace. So that's, that's a problem. Go back to Hebrews, way back in the back, and I want to show you a couple things before we're done here. Hebrews chapter 3, 7... Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion, on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. They were always struggling with this very issue when Moses was bringing God's people from Egypt to the promised land. It says in Psalm, I think, 78, if you read the King James, that time and again, they turn back and they're complaining limited, the Holy One of Israel. Limited. That's the only place and that's the only translation that says it, but I think it got it right. Our unbelief and our complaining and our doubt can limit God. Not that God is not all-powerful and all-knowing. He is, of course. But there's a relationship between him and man. And for us to benefit from the plans that he has for us, there has to be a faith response. <clears throat> and time and again, they tested him and tried him. And he was not happy with them. The point is here that we're the ones that harden our hearts. It's a process, generally speaking. Over time, 
And you see, read that even if you read in Romans chapter 1. You can just read the whole chapter and you'll see what I'm talking about. How it applies to today. But it's a process of hardening our hearts just by unyielding to God. Resisting God's word, his promptings, his guidance. Until we just lose hearing. We lose the, Jesus asked, so those who have ears to hear, he said it all the time. I think they all had natural ears. He was talking about spiritual hearing. But we're the ones that harden our heart. Unbelief is a byproduct of having a hard heart. That's why I'm talking about unbelief when really the issue is having a hard heart. But it stems from unbelief. All sin is unbelief, to be honest. It's what the Bible says. So we need to look at what we consider, what we meditate on, what we were talking about at your house the other day, George, when I came by. We're either going to be mindful of the natural world or we're going to be mindful of the supernatural world. The kingdom of God really represents a more real depiction of reality than what we see. We call reality what we can see, hear, taste, feel, and touch. But there's a sixth sense that really represents the, the reality. Isn't that, what, uh, isn't that what God showed us when Elijah stepped, and his servant stepped out of the tent that morning and he said, oh man, we're surrounded by an army that's come here to get us. And Elijah said, there's more for us than against us. And he asked God to open the young man's eyes, and he did. And he could see that, yes, there was a natural army there surrounding them to get them. But the army of God was surrounding that army to get them. (laughs) Now, who would you rather have fighting on your side? I think one angel killed, what, 180,000 in one night? And I think it was just because he was told to stop. So they're they're pretty they're pretty good soldiers. I would rather have God fighting for me any day. But what we consider, what we think upon, what we deliberate, <coughs> deliberate, what we study, what we focus on and examine, ponder, mull it over, like chewing the cud, <laughs> get all the nutrition out of the things of God. What we meditate on. That's, those are the things we consider. And whatever we consider, our heart becomes sensitive to. Right? And vice versa. If we don't consider or meditate on or give high regard to something, esteem it, then we will come hard-hearted to that. In Hebrews, we're since we're already there, and look at the 11th chapter And the 15th verse, and it says, If they had been thinking, this is talking about, if they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. 
Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. He's talking about these people who live the life of faith that pleases God. Look at the 17th verse, 17 through 19 of Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, though Isaac, through Isaac, shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead. From which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. What he's saying is when Abraham took Isaac up there as he was instructed and made Isaac carry the wood up that mountain, which is a picture of Jesus carrying his cross. He wasn't worried about it. Because he knew even if God had him to follow through, which he very well would have done. He was bringing the knife down, wasn't he? When God stopped him and he provided the ram and the bush. But he in his mind had considered this is God. And because of the promise God had made to him that from his seed he would produce multitudes of offspring... He had figured out that even if I kill him, God will bring him back. That's faith. And that's why he's listed in the hall of faith right here. We have to remember what God has said, what God has done. We have to document his record of track record of faithfulness in our lives. And put more confidence in what he says than what the world says. More confidence in what he says than what the credit score says. More confidence in what he says than what the doctor says. More confidence in what he says than what our loved ones or our spouse says about a broken relationship. God is the healer. He wants to heal us everywhere we hurt. Physically, emotionally, financially, relationally. And He will do it. But we need to believe it because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And when we make that positive confession of faith, and there's a difference. There is a spiritual difference in our words of faith and our words that are just words. That's why it's good to put aside all the negative speech and all that and to speak only the things that God says. But it's utterly, profoundly more important to really believe it. Because then your words will be very compelling in the sense that they have faith wrapped around them. And you are speaking what you truly believe. It doesn't mean that we won't have concern. That we won't really be 
hoping that he manifests the promise sooner than later. But we have to put more confidence in what God can do than what the devil can do. Some people are taught to have more trust and confidence in what the devil can do and will do than what God can and will do. And that's always going to have a problem, uh, be problematic in your life. We can't be tempted by things we don't consider. You know, just like with God's people, when Abraham called him out of his home where he was comfortable and all that to a place he would show him. If he had been thinking about going back home, he might have. He wasn't. He put it out of his mind and he only had in mind what God had told him to do. Our thoughts, our thought life is what causes the hard heart toward God. It all starts, all sin starts with a thought. That's what James says. So it all starts here. And we need to learn to deflect these thoughts and bring every thought into the obedience of Christ. What does that mean? It means if, it, if God said it, that settles it. If the, if the enemy speaks something or you hear something in the world and something that's, that's a, that's, brings death, fear, worry, reject it. And speak what God says instead. It doesn't mean that we have to deny everything. You know, it's not like Christian science. Where it's not Christian or science. Cut your arm off. That's not my arm. Nonsense. Yes, this thing has tried to come against me. This sickness, this debt. I see that. I acknowledge it. But... But God, but God said this, God said this, God is doing this. Never settle, never stop short of giving God the glory. Amen. That's the point. That's the point. I want to read one more thing in in chapter three of Hebrews. Go back there for a minute. Seven through eleven. What did this passage of scriptures tell us? Take care, brothers, lest there be in you, verse 12, be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. They're talking about hardness of heart here. Today... But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. A hardened heart makes us unstable in our lives, like a roller coaster, an emotional roller coaster ride. It prevents us from walking in faith, because, after all, our hearts are hardened to the source of our faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And if our hearts are hardened to the word of God, which is Christ, 
then it's going to prevent us from walking at a level of faith that we want to, isn't it? Being sensitive to God or having a sensitive heart, which is the opposite of a hard heart, toward God requires consistency. It's just like anything that we get good at. It takes practice (laughs) and consistency. You have to stick with it. Don't quit. Our focus has to be on the things of God. And we have to be consistent in our meditation. And in our, you know, we need to have some daily practices. And I'm not telling you five steps to a holy life and all that. Because then you get into legalism. <laughs> but there should be some things that you enjoy in your relationship with the Lord. That you have developed um, over time that you look forward to. You should have a meeting place that you meet with God. And when you pray, you should have your Bible with you. And there should just be fun things with you and God. And I'm telling you, I was listening to Lauren Daigle uh, talk to uh, 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 someone on uh, KSBJ recently. And they were saying, now you have a new man in your life. And she was like, yeah, and it was a joke. And I don't understand, which I don't really care or keep up with anything like that but what it was was Mr. Potato Head she had she had said Mr. Potato Head was her her guy or whatever but anyway there's a Christian author that she's really fond of and has a friendship with and he he explained to her one time because she had sort of lost she had tried try to keep up with uh, with doing everything right and staying with God and he explained to her listen you've lost that eight year old version of yourself And you need to find it again. And I think if we really reflect on that in our relationship with God, didn't Jesus say, you you all need to become like this little child? That childlike faith is what we're all missing in many cases. When we're doing that litmus test, because God told me a long time ago, don't ever bring out things. Don't ever begin the surgery on my children (laughs) and cause them to think about and reflect on and... uh, and to examine themselves to see whether they be in the faith and then and then not close up the wounds, right? <laughs> so we're looking at solutions here because God loves us. He, he He's not saying do this or else. He still loves us. I explained why it's important that we not allow sin in our lives because of our witness and because it's our true nature now to, to be like Jesus more and more as we go. But the cure for the hard heart is just to get rid of unbelief in our lives. This is the problem that they had when Jesus came down from the Mount of Transfiguration. Waiting at the base of the mountain was a group of people. The father had the epileptic boy, remember? Kept throwing himself into the fire and all that. And the disciples could not heal him. And they asked Jesus, long story short, later, why? Why couldn't we? And most of the versions you read say because of your little faith, this is wrong. You need to scratch it out if that's in your Bible. If the King James Version says because of your unbelief. It, it's not little faith. Jesus said if you had if you had mustard seed faith, how, how, so it's their their faith was smaller than that. <laughs> 
He was saying the tiniest amount of faith is sufficient. What was hindering them was unbelief. And this only goes out by prayer and fasting, he said. It wasn't the demon. It was their unbelief. Why? Have you ever fasted? It was the disciples' unbelief. They were asking, Lord, why couldn't we do this? And he said, because of your unbelief. And it's the unbelief that needs to go out by prayer and fasting, not the demon. There's no demon that... That's another thing. If we get rid of unbelief and we put confidence in God like that childlike faith, remember... My daddy can beat your daddy. My daddy's Superman. My daddy can jump over that building. That's what we need. We need to understand because, and now it's true, unlike it was with our natural fathers, if you had one. With him, it's real. And we need to be like that. And fasting and prayer is really important. I don't fast often enough, but fasting is... A really, really good way to get rid of unbelief. We don't fast to get God to do anything. You're not going to fast and get God to change His mind. You're not going to call up 50 people, get on a prayer chain. Maybe if all of us pray, we can get God to move. God's not stuck. You're not going to do anything to get God to move. He already moved 2,000 years ago and put everything on account for you. Now what you need is less unbelief. Sometimes calling more people to get on your prayer chain, like I talked to you about, is a mistake. Because they're going to hang up the phone with you and call sister so-and-so. Oh my gosh, so-and-so so sick. But we're going to believe Jesus. No, you're just speaking more death into that situation. You're not believing. You don't need that person praying for you, actually. God bless them, we love them. But pick carefully those who you allow to pray for you and the things that you share regarding your personal situations because you don't need anyone that's going to speak more power and authority to Satan in that situation. You need somebody that really believes the power of God and wants to release it and agree with you to bring about the quicker manifestation of what God has promised in His Word. Amen. <laughs> so the cure for a hard heart is, is to get rid of unbelief. And the way to do that is just to die to self. To, to, you can do it by fasting. You can just do it by meditating on the Word and just... Finding that eight-year-old version of yourself and, and that childlike faith and meditating on the things of God, spending time in the Word, in prayer, praying in the Spirit. And it will drive away all that unbelief because when your faith soars, unbelief suffers. Feed your faith, drown your fears. Fears, unbelief, same thing. Doubt. All that has to go because in these end times, and I'm not saying Jesus is coming tomorrow and we're not, a, 
we're not a crazy fanatical clan here, but it's obvious that we're much closer <laughs> than we were 2,000 years ago. And we need to walk in authority and power and victory. The revival is coming to the church, to the true bride of Christ, and she's going to be adorned with all the gifts of the Spirit. Because there's so Jesus, because the devil has planted so many tares in the church, and there's so many divisions, and all of the different denominations, and all this stuff that we've created in the last 2,000 years are only testaments to the division of man, not of God. Jesus is coming back for a bride, not a harem. <laughs> not, that, not that he hates you if you're this, that, or the other. God will save you no matter where you're at, in spite of all the wrong doctrine. But wrong doctrine brings about hard-heartedness and unbelief. It does. If you don't, if you've been taught in your church all your life that that all the apostles are gone when they when the original apostles died off, then that was the end of of that and miracles and signs and wonders. Then you don't believe on those things. You don't believe for healing. You don't believe for miracles. You don't believe for financial blessing. If that's what you've been taught all your life in your church, and what has that produced in those people? Hard heart in those not not every area of their life but you it's compartmentalized so regarding healing regarding financial blessings and and all those other things if they've been taught that God doesn't do that anymore then they just don't believe for it so their heart is hard right there regarding the things of God and all that needs to be undone and it can be just by simply reading the word and believing the word <laughs> I have a friend that was he was kicked out of the Baptist church when he got the Holy Ghost and and he was he was painting a lady's house uh, a few years later and, and uh, she was she was a Baptist and she was saying well we we really need fine young men like you in the Baptist church he goes well I was a Baptist but they kicked me out and she said what in the world she goes why would they do that he goes well I, I found out about the Holy Ghost and I got the baptism of the Holy Spirit oh we would have kicked you out too she said oh. <laughs> and he goes but ma'am, he goes, how can, you, how can you really say that though? And he began to reveal to her through the scriptures the truth of God's word and all those things like that. And she goes, you know what her answer was? Oh, well, there's a lot of stuff in there we don't believe. Hard heart. There you go. She had been taught that her whole life. And so she had just adopted it. It's good enough for mama and them. And that we're not going to question. You see? And that's a very dangerous thing. To change and to drive away hard-heartedness and unbelief, just deny yourself and believe God. Amen? <laughs> Lord, thank you for this day and for your word. We thank you for teaching us about the truth of your word, that, that our new identity in you has provided us with salvation and a home in heaven with you and our names are written in the book of life. You love us and nobody can change that. But, Lord, we also understand that a hardened heart that keeps us away from you and keeps us from benefiting from all the wonderful plans that you have for our lives. And we don't want that, Lord. We want to be sensitive to you, to your spirit, 
We want to agree with your word and to walk in victory and power and love, the blessing of the Lord. So we thank you, Lord, for helping us to drive out unbelief and a hard heart in any area that we have allowed it to happen. So we thank you for revealing this and the wonderful way that you do. Holy Spirit, we know that you have a wonderful way of ministering to us, a very gentle and profound way of showing us things, showing us ourselves. So help us to focus on these things and to focus on your truth and your love and your power until our faith begins to soar like an eagle and all doubt and unbelief has been driven away from our hearts and minds. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.